Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. The teaching text for this Sunday comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Uh, Good uh, good morning, Reunion. How's everyone doing? Ah. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, Before we uh, dive in, let me pray for us. Heavenly God, I I thank you, Lord, first and foremost, for your hospitality to us, to being a God who gave your son, gave up yourself to welcome us into your family, into your household, into your kingdom. Today, Lord, as we meditate on your word, as we dig through the scriptures, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be filling this room and that it would be your wisdom and knowledge and insight and light that fills us all. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to say, um, for the record, that when Russell says that we were hanging out a few weeks ago in the Athens, it was not uh, some holy event where he, we were praying together. He he completely tricked me into preaching this because uh, he used the the most uh, devilish kind of hospitality, cocktails, strong ones at that. And we're like, I don't know, three old fashions in. And he's like, hey, <laughs> you want to preach? And I'm like, sure. And uh, I mean, I was glad. I'm always glad to be spending time with Russell um, and to be preaching on this, this value of hospitality, of cultivating hospitality. And I love this art. I'm not sure who did it, but it's wonderful. Um, I heard Chris. Was that, no, sorry. I, I don't know. But whoever did it? Oh, the kids. The kids did that. <laughs> yeah, someone did it, and it's amazing. Okay. Um, but I was as I was thinking about this value of hospitality. I, when I, when Russell first asked me, I thought, sure, yeah, this seems um, obvious. I would love to preach on it. But as I sat down to think about it, I realized it's something that's really hard to pin down. And I think this is the way it is with some of these values, right? If you were to go out on the street, not probably right now because it's raining, but and you were just to ask people, you know, as they do now on TikTok or whatever you use, and you just ran people and say, hey, what's hospitality? Everyone would be, would, you know, have an idea of what it means or what it means to be hospitable, right? But if you then ask them to give you an image of what hospitality can look like, I think you would end up with a variety of images, right? Because it can look very different to different people. And um, I could have done this, but, um, probably not because I don't really... Despite being comfortable preaching in front of people, I don't like uh, interactions with strangers that much. Uh, so I did what everyone's doing these days. I asked AI to tell me what hospitality is. 
right? So I, I, I went into ChatGPT and I said, you know, give me some descriptions of hospitality. And this is what I got. So the first one I got was a cozy, well-lit, a cozy, well-lit room with comfortable furniture, soft blankets, and a fluff, and fluffy pillows. And then I also took this description and I plugged it into another AI model and got art as well. So these images are all AI generated, you know, we're keeping up. I do love that with AI, you get some weird things. I mean, on this one on the right, you have like a, a monster in that bed, which is not really budget. The middle one, there's literally a hole in the bed, so not the most, I don't know what that's supposed to be. Um, but yeah, that's the first one. I mean, another image I got was freshly brewed coffee or tea and a plate of homemade cookies or pastries waiting for guests. Great image. Um, one, another weird thing, I spent a lot of time looking at this. I mean, there's like a, that middle one looks really nice until you realize there's like a monster in the background. I don't know what's going on there. The, the, another image I got was a delicious meal made with fresh, locally sourced ingredients and served with care and attention to detail. Once again, great images. Weird thing on the right, there's a house with literally a bowl of pasta in front of it. I mean, kind of gives me, um, that's, what's that book, like, uh, rainy, stormy with a side of meatballs or something like that? I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about. And, and I mean, I got a lot of these. One more to share. Um, personalized recommendations and attention from staff who remember guest name and preferences. I mean, this one was the weirdest one with art. I mean, I don't even know what's going on there. <laughs> now, ridiculous AI-generated images aside, um, I think what we learned from some of what these models, did, which really is just telling us back what we've already put out into the internet, right? I mean, these models are just taking aggregated data that's already out there. Um, and, and based on kind of what we know about this word hospitality is this sense of the extraordinary, right? Uh, when we think about hospitality, we think about people who are going, or experiences that are above and beyond. Things that are extraordinary. Uh, if you have ever worked in the quote unquote hospitality industry, right? If you've ever worked in restaurants, cafes, in um, hotels or anything like that, you kind of know what this is about, right? This, if you're in a client facing role, you know that you have to make the clients or the guests feel like there's something special, that you're going above and beyond for them, going the extra mile. And I think in a lot of ways, this idea of hospitality is tied into um, going beyond the average, being Extraordinary, extraordinary. And I think this is hard for the church. Least of which is because, and sometimes if we're honest, and this is not a dig on reunion, but this is just, a, I mean, I've been a part of the church for a long time, and I think we all know it, sometimes churches can seem very ordinary, right? It can seem very ordinary. I mean, no offense, but you know, these chairs, they're comfortable, but some of them don't even have cushions, you know? I mean, this, you know, if you showed up at a nice cafe and they had these folding chairs out, church chairs, I mean, we know these are church chairs, right? You'd be like, what's up with this cafe? I mean, sorry, you know, Russell, this one right here, I mean, no one's sitting in this one because there's no cushion, you know? How are you going to sit through this hour-long sermon if there's no cushion? <laughs> Hold on, guys, let's fasten in. No, 55 minutes. Um, and I know Reunion has good coffee, but let's be honest, it's good for church, right? I mean... No one here is taking espresso drinks, you know, there's no espresso orders going on. Where's my oat milk latte, you know? And if, if what it means to be hospitable is to offer something extraordinary, sometimes we look around a church and feel like we are falling short, right? We're not offering anything really extraordinary. So what can the church do? One option is to try to chase after what the world defines as hospitality, right? To make churches seem as much like a hotel or a nice coffee shop or a high-end restaurant as much as possible. 
And, if, and sometimes we can try to get close, but let's be honest, we're never going to be able to catch up, right? I mean, there are some amazing restaurants, especially here in New York City. You go out, you're going to have some amazing experiences. And if this, if this fails, we just make up with our can-do attitude, right? This is where you get this super aggressive church greeters who's like, you know what? I can't offer hospitality, I can't offer espresso drinks, but what I can do is attack every newcomer who comes in, right? You've been, to, I mean, we don't have any of that here, but I've definitely been guilty of that. I have been that church breeder. So this is what you can end up with. And I just want to be really clear here. There is nothing wrong with greeting newcomers. There's nothing wrong with good coffee or caring about this. In fact, the church needs it. We need people who care about these things. But if this is all there is to hospitality church, then we will always be falling short, falling short of what the world is already offering. But maybe what we need is not to try to catch up, but a different image of what hospitality can be, right? What Maybe we need a biblical image of hospitality, a Christian understanding of what it is to be hospitable. And what I believe the Bible offers us, what I believe we are called to is exactly the opposite of offering extraordinary things. I believe we are called to offer ordinary things. And to explain this, I'm going to return to elementary school. Because when I was in elementary school and I had to explain something, do a current events report or something, my teacher would tell me that I would have to cover the five W's and the one H, right? Does anyone remember this, the five W's, right? The who, what, where, when, why, and how, right? So that's what we're gonna be covering today, right? So right here, we've got a little table, and this is how I'm gonna explain hospitality to us, right? So we're gonna jump around a bit. First, we're gonna start with the what, because I just said it. What is biblical hospitality? It's ordinary things, right? And as I just said, it's as opposed to what the world offers, which is extraordinary things, Christian hospitality is ordinary things, which is good news for us because we're not called to create elevated experiences or curated three Michelin star church snacks. We're called to do very ordinary things. We look at the passage for today, verse 34, 34, 35, it says, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The king praises the righteous, not for doing these extraordinary things, these extraordinary measures, but he says, for someone who was hungry, you fed them. Nothing tastes better than ordinary food when you are starving, right? Someone's thirsty, you give them something to drink. The king doesn't say, hey, you prepared this nice artisanal cocktail for me, or you got me some independently brewed kombucha. Nothing is more delicious, we all know this, right? Just a glass of water when you are dehydrated. Someone's a stranger, invite them in. If they need basics, like clothes, you, you give it to them. When they're sick or in prison, go see them. We're not told that we even have to cure or free people, right? That is the work of God. He says, hey, you just want to see me. These are, when we think about it, very, very ordinary things. Now, once again, this does not mean you shouldn't care about the food you offer people, right? This does not mean that you shouldn't care about the hospitality you provide, but your hospitality is not valued based on the quality of what you offer, but on the very fact that you are offering it to those who have need for it. Feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, visit the people who are sick and in prison. Now, some of you may be thinking, right? This sounds a lot like justice issues. And you're right, because hospitality 
is directly tied to justice. Justice cannot exist without hospitality, and hospitality cannot exist without justice. This is why I'm so glad that we have our partners from Hope for New York here, right? I mean, this was not planned, but it's, I mean, it was planned by the Holy Spirit, because justice without hospitality is at best charity, and at worst, it's those videos of people giving you know, food to homeless people, but they only do that because the camera's on and they're trying to monetize it, right? That's what we have when we have justice without hospitality. And though it may seem ordinary to do these, some of these things, it does not mean it cannot have an extraordinary impact on those who have need for it. As Russell shared, um, the reason why he asked me to preach on this value of hospitality is because, uh, not necessarily because I'm extraordinarily hospitable, uh, definitely not by the world's standards, but because uh, we, I'm a church planter and we planted a home church, a church out of our home in the Upper East Side, and we are trying to plant a church based around this idea of hospitality. Not around the world's understanding of hospitality, right? But understand, trying to do church in a way that provides very ordinary things to people who need it. Uh, what we are trying to do is reach people who would never show up to normal, uh, what we might call a normal church, right? Um, our neighbors who, you know, for whatever reason, don't go to church and would not show up to church. And that means that what we do on Sundays is very different. On Sundays, we don't have preaching. This is the first time I've preached in like months. And we don't have praise and worship songs, mostly because if I sang, that's the opposite of hospitality, people would leave. <laughs> uh, we don't have communion, at least not in the sense that people in churches expect communion. What we do do, what we do is simply open up our home. We welcome people to come join us and sit together in our home, eat the food that we prepared, uh, and we just spend time together. The most Christian thing that we do on Sundays is pray for the meal. And here's the reality, that uh, our church is very, very ordinary. Uh, most weeks, I cook the food, which actually, um, by the definition of a like New York City brunch, means it's like subpar, so it's actually below ordinary. Because, I mean, we all know that there are some great lunch spots available. And the Upper East Side, I mean, the one thing they do is brunch. So, you know, there are better options out there. Uh, our apartment is very ordinary, right? We live in a, my wife and I and our seven-month-old, we live in a one-bedroom. Um, it's in a, it's a pre-war building. It's old. I mean, people squeeze in where they can. As, as often as people sit in chairs, they sit on the floor. We don't have good cushions either. Um, and most of the time, our conversation is very ordinary. We're talking as often about like things like credit card points, work drama, TV shows that we're watching, right? It's not holy, it's ordinary. But I believe what we offer to the people who are there can have an extraordinary impact. The one thing I know about New York City and the one thing I know about our neighborhood, our neighborhood and our neighbors is that it can be a tremendously lonely place, right? We all know what it is sometimes to feel like we're surrounded by people and completely alone. And I believe in our neighborhood there is a need for community, for fellowship, a place to be seen by other people and be known. And I believe that in Christ and in Christ's family, that is the place where we are truly known, we truly become ourselves. But the reality is that no matter how many times I preach a sermon about it, there are many people who will never hear. I could preach the sermon to their face, as it happens sometimes in New York City subways, and uh, they will never hear me. But if I invite them over to brunch, I say, hey, come to my ordinary home, eat my ordinary pancakes, um, and sit with us as we talk about the TV shows that we're watching. Uh, I, I have to believe that not by me being there, doing these ordinary things, but by the fact that the Spirit is extraordinarily present there in those ordinary times, 
that there can be extraordinary change. Uh, we've been doing this now for about two and a half months. It's had its highs and it's had many lows. Um, and I'll be honest, it's, lately it's been very challenging. And I begin to wonder at times if what we're doing matters. Like, I mean, it's, it's so ordinary, sometimes I wonder if like, maybe we need like, a little sprinkling of the extraordinary. Like, and I begin to wonder, is this gonna make any difference? And um, just as I was beginning to wonder that, uh, I felt like the Spirit knew what I needed. And last Sunday, this one person who has come uh, a few times to our brunches, not to our, even our Bible studies, which we do, uh, he, he said he wanted to like, talk to me uh, before he left. And uh, we're just chatting by the door, and this is someone who is not a Christian, and uh, I know for a fact that he is searching for something, right? Um, he was recently telling me about this, the search that he's on. He went on a psychedelics retreat in the mountains of Canada, and he was telling me about how amazing it was. Um, not just, I don't think, I think he had actually had a pretty bad trip, but, um, but like an amazing trip, meaning like he had a bad trip, like a psychedelic trip, but then he had an amazing trip, like a, like a vacation trip, right? I mean, great, great time. It's confusing, right? Um, and he was telling me about how this, this, like, this psychedelic retreat, they have like so many different people there to help you out. There, there's hosts, guests, coaches, there's like a five to one ratio of people who are helping you. I mean, like the church cannot offer that, right? We can't offer that. It's all like, you know, curated to the person. They take this like survey of what they're looking for. And they offer you this, like, this perfect mix of psychedelics that's to help you whatever, get through the things that you're going through. They have glamping tents. Um, all their food is like professionally cooked and catered. And I'm like, wow, man, why are you here, right? Like, that pancake you ate, like, burnt, you know? Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's very different from the ordinary brunch in our apartment. And, um, and he said, you know, I, I know I've only come a few times, but um, I want you to know that what you're doing, I, I, I kind of get what you're doing, and it's valuable to me. Like, I want to support this in some way. And that really touched me, because this is a guy who's not a Christian, um, I have no expectation that he's going to support us financially or even say this is valuable, or even get what we're trying to do. And yet this very ordinary thing that he said to me that was valuable to him, that, that this very ordinary church that we have doing very ordinary things was valuable to this person who is extraordinarily, extraordinarily special to God. So that's the what. And it's very simple. Just do ordinary things. And I guess I'll get to the next part. Done for extraordinary reasons. The who and the why. I, I, I clearly wasn't paying attention as I made my own slides. Um, verse 37 says, The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. To think about the who of hospitality, we have to once again contrast it with the who of hospitality in the world around us, in the city around us. In the world, who is hospitable to whom? I would argue that in the world, it is the relatively powerless who are responsible for being hospitable to the powerful. We do extraordinary things, we all do extraordinary things, I believe, to meet the needs of those who are more powerful, more influential, more important, more wealthy than us. I mean, once again, I'm gonna return to the quote-unquote hospitality industry. Anyone who's worked in restaurants or hotels, any of those kind of industries knows this. If you at work are in a client-facing role, you understand that you have to appease those with more power, in this case, the clients who have the money. 
we understand that these kind of relationships are ripe with abuse and dehumanizing feelings. And it's not just limited to our jobs, right? This could happen in the world around us, right? It could, of course, it could be your client or your boss, but it could be someone that you simply want to impress, right? They have that power over you, and so you do everything to appease them. It could be someone at work, I mean, someone at school who is more senior than you, and so you care about what they think. Maybe it's a TA or professor. In this world, the powerless serve the powerful. Whether it's from individual experiences, but it also happens on the macro level, right? We see these in nations. It is the powerless nations that serve the powerful. Those of power are treated well in this world, right? I think this is why we, um, as a society, get so offended when we hear about some sort of celebrity or politician abusing their power, right? Not because we're like shocked that it happened. No, it's actually the opposite. It's because it's too real to us. We know that this happens, right? When this happens, we see ourselves in it. We're like, yeah, I've been there, and no one, that, and that person never got canceled. You know, like, what's going on? It's too real, that's why we get offended. It's not because it's rare, it's because we know it happens all the time. Money, influence, connections, fame, if you want it, you gotta get it from those who have it. This is how hospitality works in the world. It is the powerless who serve the powerful. So how can the church be different? What can be our reason, our extraordinary reason, if not simply to serve the power of the world? Well, what if instead of serving the powerful, the church laid down our power and served the powerless. Why? Why would we do such a thing? Very simply because this is what was done for us. Christian hospitality is us as the church, as followers of Christ, laying down our own power to serve the powerless because Christ has done that for us. The king, verse 34 says, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The king is speaking to those on his right. He's speaking to those who will inherit his kingdom. What we would call that in the world is royalty. He's speaking to royalty. And yet it says in verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, thirsty, you made something to drink, stranger invited me in, clothed, and you clothed me, sick, and you looked after me, and in prison you came to visit me. What we're told here about the kingdom of God is that it's the kind of kingdom where royalty, the people who will inherit the kingdom, serve the weakest, the most powerless. People who can't even get food or water. That's the kind of kingdom, that's the kind of world that the king invites us into, that we live in, that we are called to bring into this world. This is the completely countercultural scandal of grace, that he who had power sacrificed himself, gave up his power, humbled himself for the sake of, the, of we who had no power. Philippians 2 tells us, Christ, who being in very nature God, who in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, as the world would use it. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in, human, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christian hospitality, we lay down our power for the powerless, because Christ has done this for us. Now, as I say this, I know that some of us may be thinking, Ben, that's great, but I don't feel very powerful. If I had power, I would lay it down, right? If I had money, 
I would gladly give it, but I am broke. If I had any influence in this world, I would use it. But I have five followers, and my mom has two of them, because she has two accounts for some reason. <laughs> and you know what? Real talk, some of you are not very powerful. Okay? Not by the world's standards, right? I'm with you. I'm, I am a bivocational pastor, and my, my social media is not great. No one really cares. Aside from you who are forced to sit here because it would be super awkward if you left now, no one's listening to me. I mean, by the world's standards, there are many of us who don't have a lot of power. But here's the reality. All of us have some power some of the time. In the passage right before this, Jesus tells what is often called the parable of the talents, or sometimes the parable of the gold bags. And he tells a story about a master who gives uh, various talents, which were um, measures of money, but also kind of, um, that's where we actually derive our modern word for talent from, so you can think of it as actual talents. He gives various uh, talents to his servants, right? To one servant he gives one, to another he gives five, to another he gives ten. Right off the bat, let me be honest, let's just call it out. There is inequality there, right? Someone has ten and someone has one, right? But when the master comes back, what he cares about is not what you started with, but what it turns out the master cares about is that the, the servants use what was given to them for the master's work. So yes, some of us have less talents than the other, and not, we are not all equally powerful by the world's standards. But to say that this call to being hospitable, to being using what you have to do the ordinary things that matter to the kingdom of God, to say that this call doesn't apply to you because you only got one talent because there's someone down the street who has ten, let me just be real, that is not true and that is a lie of the devil because that is not how the kingdom of God works. Actually, biblically, if you read, you will actually see it is that those, it is those with the smallest amount of power who are often able to give it up and actually make the biggest kingdom impact. When Jesus fed the 5,000, right, and this is an account in the gospel where Jesus feeds 5,000 people, he, he did not do it alone. He could have. I believe if Jesus wanted to, he could have snapped his finger and, a, and he could have you know, teleported through time, three Michelin star chefs, and they would have been spread. He could have done amazing things if he wanted to, but he didn't do it alone. Instead, there was this one little boy with two fish and five loaves. And that little boy could have easily said, hey, I'm like the least powerful person in this crowd of 5,000 plus. I'm a young child. I have the lunch that my mom packed me it's not even that good of a lunch. I mean, I, I mean, two fish, five loaves, it's not that great. He could say, I'm powerless. I'm not even a fully grown adult yet. Right? I need this to grow to one day become an adult that has some power. He could have said, hey, I can't give this up. I have barely anything. I'm powerless. And instead, it is he gave up his little bit of power, his little bit of privilege, his little bit of security. And here's the kingdom truth. In Christ that little power that we may have, when we lay it down before the cross, before Christ, it becomes more powerful, more impactful, more extraordinary than we could have ever imagined. In this case, of the small sacrifice that this young boy did of giving up his two fish and five loaves, ended up feeding 5,000 plus, right? I mean, it was probably, the only count of men, so it was probably 15,000 people there. And it showed, up, showed us all through time the power of faith, and his story, this small sacrifice that he made is recorded in all four Gospels. You may feel that you have no power. You may feel that you have barely any power. You might say, hey, 
I'm a new Christian. You know, I'm new to this whole thing. I don't even know what I could do. I, I, I don't know as much Christianese as someone like Russell, you know. You may feel like, I have no power here. You may be in, like, the lowest of low positions. You may be, like, the most unpaid intern in, in the history of interns, right? <laughs> you may be young and say, you know what, uh, there are people who are more senior than me. You may have no money in your bank account, you know, maybe negative. But you know what? If you are even a regular attender here at reunion, right? If you're even, even at the very least, if you're someone who shows up here regularly, that's something, you have something to offer, right? Let's say some big, you know, hotshot Wall Street type walks through these doors and he doesn't know anyone here. All his power, all his bank account, all his Excel and PowerPoint skills will not help him get plugged in with anyone here. And you could lord your little bit of power and say, you know what? In this one little space among the small group, I know some people. And you could say, you know what? I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to stay in my little in-groups, talk to the people I know, enjoy the feeling of being in the in-crowd here, which is what happens in the world. Or you can do the very, 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 very ordinary thing of going to the newcomer and welcoming them, inviting the stranger in, maybe even inviting them for food after church. And this is not just a church thing. We can easily see this playing out in other settings at work with that uh, new person at work or that person at work that everyone ostracizes because they're a little weird. We all have power sometimes. The question is, are you willing to let that power be laid down for the sake of the cross, for the sake of the kingdom? To be the one who becomes a servant, to feed the hungry, to give water to the thirsty, just as Christ did for us. Because here's the thing, this is not only a message, a call to those on the hospitality team, those who call themselves pastors. This is not just for extroverts, right, who like people, or this is not just for the members who have been a member for so long that they're actually kind of tired of talking to the same people every week, so they're like desperate for new people. This is not just for those who um, do this professionally or who enjoy doing it. This is a call to all of us if you call yourselves a part of the family of God. Christian hospitality doesn't require extraordinary measures, but it does require us to lay down our power just as Christ did. So what do we do? Ordinary things. But for the extraordinary reason that Christ laid down his power for us, we lay down our power for the powerless. So we got the who, the what, uh, and the why. So we got some where, when, and how left, right? So let's knock these out because I know you guys want to get out of here. So you can go out and be hospitable, right? Um, where, this is probably the easiest, and I'll be honest, the most challenging. Um, where is the place that God has already placed you? Um, once again, not a plug, but a sort of a plug. One of the things I really love about what Hope From New York does is that they're not trying to reinvent the wheel, right? It's so easy these days for people to be tempted to say, I'm gonna go make something new. Instead, they're supporting 60 plus affiliates who, have already, who are already doing the work. You don't need to go out and find a new place. The where is where you already are. You don't have to go find a new place to do hospitality. You're already occupying certain places. Where do you already spend your time? Where are you already a regular? What neighbor do you already live in? Where do you already see the need? For us and our church, for my family, it was our home. We spent a lot of time there during the pandemic, and we still spend a lot of time there because we haven't changed. Um, and um, you know what? We, at times we thought, you know what? It would be really, really great if somehow God blessed us with like a restaurant space or a cafe space. I mean, that'd be so cool if we could like open up a restaurant and operate at that cost, or even for free, and just give out free food and be awesome. But you know what? We don't have that. 
We don't have, maybe there are people who do have that. Maybe some of you have that. But the one thing that God already gave us that we already had was our home. And once again, this is a very ordinary home. It doesn't even have an extra room that we could have done this in. We're not even one of those apartments that have those kind of cool communal spaces that residents can reserve. Nope, we just have our home. And now it's filled with a seven-month-old, so it's filled with toys and diapers and stuff like that. But that's the place that God has already placed us. And you know what? I, there's a, a way that we can always talk about how, especially with a place in real estate in Europe, there's a way that we always talk about how powerless we are. We can be like, yeah, there are people with more space, more things, more opportunities. But are you willing to simply open up the places that you already occupy? Your homes, your workplaces, but even if you don't have that, what if, you know, here's a crazy idea, you, I know that many of us occupy, for more often than we want to, this tiny one square foot space in this tin sardine that we call the subway, right? We've all been there. That's all the space we have in the world. Are you willing to lay down even that small amount of space and say, you know what? I could, you know, hunker down and really occupy the space, put my ear, my ear pods in, listen to my podcast, not let anyone in, anyone else in, or we've all seen it. There's that tourist looking at the map on the subway wall. They're desperately lost. You know it, you don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to hear their conversation because you know they're lost. You're overhearing and you're like, oh man, they are on the downtown express train and they should be on the uptown local train. Are you willing to be hospitable in that tiny space that you occupy and say, you know what, I'm just gonna open up this little imaginary door and say, hey, um, are you lost? Can I, can I help you get to where you're going? Are we willing to give up those kind of spaces? Because trust me, that's hard. I, even me, <laughs> there's not one thing. That's what Google Maps is for. Um, but it's hard. And for New Yorkers, space is challenging because opening, and let's go back to our home, opening up your homes can be hard because to let someone into your home, as we know, can not only mean letting them into your living room, but also your kitchen, your dining room, your bathroom, your personal gym, your home office, because it's all one space, right? But please remember, before we were ever called to open up our homes, open up our spaces, open up where we already exist, Christ opened up his home to us by coming to us so that way we can have a home with him. So where? Just wherever you are. When? Same thing. Whenever God calls. As Christians, we are called to be, to stay awake, to be alert. If you thought being a Christian was like being on a nice cruise where you can kick back with a drink and relax, sorry, that is not the call that we have. We are more like sailors in the Navy on a ship. We have to be ready to answer the call whenever it comes. If that boy with the fishes and loaves had zoned out for even a second and not overheard what was going on with Jesus and the disciples and the food, he would have missed his chance to see his small fish and loaves multiplied to something greater. If Abraham in Genesis 18 had felt, you know, not been paying attention and not seen that there were guests arriving, or said, hey, sorry, this is not a good time, he would have missed and turned these guests away who we know later on turned out to be angels. He would have missed his chance to get a good news that he was about to welcome a child into his family. In Luke 19, Jesus comes across Zacchaeus and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your home with like a huge crowd of people. And Zacchaeus was then like, oh, wait, um, today's the day when I do cleaning. It's not a good time. If he had done that, he would have missed his chance to redeem himself in his society and go from being someone who was hated being someone who was a redeemed member of the society. So when is, unfortunately, 
very simple. It's whenever there is a need. So all that's left is how. And at this point, I feel this should be pretty obvious. How do you put this into action today? It is the very ordinary things. Don't go looking to start a new ministry. Don't go looking for new people that you've never had a chance to talk to. Pay attention to who's already around you, who has needs that are already there. Maybe it's newcomers here. Maybe it's the lonely person in your apartment building, your neighbor's coworker, that tourist who is lost in the subway. Do this already. Do this in the places that you already occupy. Do this in the homes that you already have, the church that you already attend, in the same commute to work that you do every single day, in the school that you go to, the classes that you attend. Do it in the places that you already occupy. When, when the moment arises, whether it's now, whether it's at the church, maybe it's yesterday, maybe God has already told you that there's a need, and you already know it. Answer. And what? This is, I've said this so many times, I don't know if I should say it again, but do the ordinary things. If they're, provide the very, very ordinary response to needs that are already there. If someone is hungry, give them food. If someone is thirsty, give them a drink. Welcome in a stranger. Give directions to the lost. Visit the sick and alone, help the helpless, give advice to the person who needs advice, listen to the person who needs to be heard, invite the person who's struggling into your study group and help them you know, pass the test, offer to read the resume of a person who's looking for a job. These are very ordinary things that we can all do. None of these are extraordinary. Why do these ordinary things? Because of the extraordinary thing that was already done for us. Christ, who was so powerful, who was in very nature God, came down to hang out with us, we who were powerless to even save ourselves. We deserve no hospitality, and yet God comes and prepares a place for us, welcomes us into his, not only his kingdom, not only his, his house, but into his family. So very simply, reunion, my hope, my call to you is to go out and do the very ordinary things, those who need it, lay down your power, do it where you are, whenever it's called, because God has done this very extraordinary thing for us. Let's pray. Heavenly God, we thank you. We thank you because we are guests in your home. We are children in your family. We have been invited in. And Lord, because of what you've done for us, Lord, we have the freedom, the privilege, the power to go out and do this for our brothers and sisters, your fellow children. Lord, I pray that today, as we go out from this place, as we go back into the world that you have sent us into, as we go to our homes, go back into the subways that we, we ride all the time, go into the stores that we frequent, go into the spaces that we occupy. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. But we know that this city, this world, is in need of hospitality and justice. We know that there is a need. And we know that you have sent us into this world because you call us to provide the very ordinary things that we are capable of, Lord. Lord, we know it is you who heal, you who save, you who redeem. So Lord, let us just instead not worry about the extraordinary, but do the ordinary things that you call us to do. But we thank you, Lord, for the cross, 
Jesus Christ, that makes all of this possible. We thank you so much for the work that we see others doing that gives us inspiration, whether it's ministries like Hope for New York, whether it's our brothers and sisters, whether it's Reunion Church, whether it's uh, those around us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we don't do this alone. We thank you, Lord, and we ask for the strength to simply follow through. Holy Spirit, we thank you, we love you, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.